0: Turn with me to 2 Peter 1. As we continue our series, uh, it's time to grow up. Uh, And today we want to look at this truth that godly character is a joint effort. God doesn't just come down and zap you into being godly, He does not. It's not something that you'll be just, do it to me, Lord. It it happened to me, or you're passive. It won't smack me. It it doesn't work that way. We want to see what God's plan for developing your character looks like. And we'll first read the text in 2 Peter. His divine power, verse 3, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Do you see that? His divine power didn't leave out anything. Granted to all things that pertain to life, I think eternal life, living in this life, and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, you don't become deity, but God has shared eternal life with us, forgiveness, and an eternal destiny, so we partake in things that come out of God's divine nature, but don't think you become deity. We just share in what deity has to offer. Uh, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness or patience, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and you have already achieved them, for if these qualities are yours and you received them in 1901, if these qualities are in you and are increasing, that's called growing. You're still growing. You're still maturing. You're still, uh, doesn't matter. How old you are in the Lord. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our God, of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. This is the ESV, and I, that's a good translation. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Great promise. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, Godly character. I said last week, if many of you had to dress according to your spiritual age, You'd have to wear diapers to church or bring your bottle because no matter how old you are, you're still a babe. You've never grown up. You've never grown up in the Lord. You've never matured. You're never, uh, you're at the same place you were 10 years ago. You just, you plateaued, and some never hardly, like at Corinth, never got out of the cradle department. They're self-centered, spoiled. And all their needs have to be met. They've never come to the place of maturity and being able to contribute. So Paul saw that as a tragedy, a tragic thing. But it did exist even at Corinth. It happened in the book of Hebrews. And when we talk about character, uh, what is character? And I put down here, uh, reputation is what you do in the light. Character is what you do in the dark. Uh, Character is what you do uh, in Las Vegas that you could tell us about. You know, they got a model. what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. Well, God's got a model that says, whatever's done in secret shall be shouted from the housetop. I just had someone call me for one of these three to four day trips. Las Vegas. Well, we got one of those once before, and I had men pimping uh, naked women to me for four blocks. I finally took this guy. I said, I'm going to hit you if you don't get away. I got a woman at my arm that's been there for 40 years, and you're trying to get me the sleep of the naked woman I don't even know. I need to smack you right in the mouth in Jesus' name. <laughs> if you put Jesus on it, it's okay. I said, there's nothing in Vegas I need. I don't want to buy women. I don't want to see naked women. I don't want to get drunk. I don't want to gamble. And I don't want to meet Luigi, who's heading up the mafia, who owns all the casinos. No, I wouldn't mind some iced tea. I wouldn't mind a pool. And if you've got a condo there, see me. Let me use it. But there's nothing downtown I want. You know what I'm saying, what I do there, I go on the road, hey, I'm good. I, I never look at pornography unless I'm traveling. I'm in an airport, and there just happens to be a playboy there, and I want to pray for the Playmate of the Month, so I look at it. <laughs> Lord, save her. Woo, save her. Are you saying save her for you or save her? You know, what you do on the road is amazing because that's your character. But when you come in town, you've got to watch your reputation. What you do in secret is what you are. Your character is what you do out of town. Uh, here's the formula. God's grace plus your cooperation equals God-honoring character. God's grace plus your effort. Woo! That doesn't sound like grace. No, it's grace. God revealed it in his word. God's grace plus your effort, he invites you to this effort, will equal godly character. So, that means if you don't have godly character, who who's isn't keeping their part, God or you? Well, godly character in Scripture is really the mark of success. Uh, we use around here when we want to hire somebody, is it character, competence, or... Chemistry, which is compatibility. Well, uh, you can have all the competence in the world and be a brilliant thief. Do you think there's any brilliant thieves in the world? You can have uh, competence all day. If you don't have character, and when you hire people, one thing you can't give them is character. You can send them to get a skill, but you can't give them character. Boy, they're brilliant at math brilliant at counting money, and brilliant at fraud. They never get caught. So we come over to our Christian life. Your fruitfulness and successful uh, participation in the family of God is tied more to your character than your gift, your charisma. I know some very charismatic men that proved to be womanizers and lost their ministry. So who cares how gifted you are? What is your character? So let's see what Peter says. He says three things to develop your character. One is God has to provide resources for this character. And he does, three things. And they're right in the text, we'll mention them. And then he's going to say, we've got to join efforts with God's resources and become responsible to pay attention to certain development in our life And he named seven areas. And then he tells you, if you'll do this, these are the results you'll see in your life if you pay attention to your character. Three things he says God has given you uh, as the resource for a godly life. He says, I've given you my power, I've given you my promises, and I've given you the gift of faith. Those three things. My power, I've given to you the power that raised Christ from the dead. Now, there's something about God's power. There's two kinds of power. There's many, but two. Let's say automobile. An automobile, as it were, could be autonomous. It's not dependent on anything but a full tank. As long as there's gas and a normal operating machine, As long as you got that gas, you've got the power to get you wherever you want to go. No problem. But God's power is like that of an electric train that runs off the power on the track. No contact, no power. No contact, no power. The power is there, but it has to make contact. It's electrical power. You've got to come in contact with the source, and you've got to stay glued to that contact. And Jesus said, you've got to abide in me. You've got to stay in contact with me if you want to bear fruit. And when there's no fruit, you've broken contact. When there's no power, if there's tons of power, you've broken contact. God has given the power. Then the promises, the promises of God, the promises of the gospel, If you don't believe God can do what he said, and if you question his character, like you lied when you said that, and you're not relying on promises, really the only thing you can do on God's promises, claim them, rely on them. That's faith. Then he goes on to say, I want you to add to your faith. Interesting, watch this. He didn't say for you to add the faith virtue. No, he said, you've got the faith. I want you to add to the faith. Where did you get your faith? It is given to you not only to suffer for Christ, but to believe in Christ. Philippians 1.29. For by grace have you been saved through faith. Right there. Now stop. This is all a gift of God. Grace, faith is a whole package of God gave you the gift of faith to believe him to even be saved. That's why we call the family of God believers. And there's unbelievers. They don't believe God. You give them promises all day. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Well, it doesn't change the promise. It just makes you an unbeliever. And you won't ever get it. He doesn't keep promises to folks that don't believe him. So the promises are given to who? Who? believers, where did I get the faith to believe? He in regeneration gave me the gift of faith. So every child of God has the same equipment, God's power, God's promises, and the gift of faith. All believers everywhere have those three things, every believer. Yet we've got some still in diapers, still immature, still fit throwers, still grumblers, still immature, immature, babies in the church with 60-year-old bodies, but a baby maturity, a shame, a tragedy. Why is it they're not cooperating with God to develop their character in reliance on God? Because he said, I want you to add to your faith seven things. Now, He's going to name these seven things. And just think of it this way. It's not you add them this way. Linear. Woo! Uh, how you doing? Well, I'm working on virtue. How long will you be there? Well, it'll take about 10 years. Then I want to graduate to, you know, eventually I'll get to brotherly affection when I'm, ready, and when I'm in the rest home and about ready to go to heaven. No, 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 no. It's seven things that are all to be growing at the same time. You're in progress. Now, one, you may be further along. One may be here. But it's the idea of all, just like the fruit of the Spirit. You don't just say, oh, I have lots of joy. I just, uh, I don't have any love. No, no, it doesn't work that way. All nine characteristics, you've got to be growing in at the same time. There may be different How far down? See, it's not how far you've gone, it's what direction you're headed. Not how far you've gone are you going the right direction? Are you walking in the direction of the Spirit? And so, Peter gives seven, Paul gave nine. Now watch. You ought to be growing and adding to your faith uh, moral excellence. Virtue. It was a term that the Greeks used of heroes at war. It was those who excel in combat. They were, they were excellent, as it were. And then it came to be used of ethics. And so he said, you be, ought to be adding to your faith moral excellence, not just uh, sexual ethics, but in every area. Honesty, uh, treat, treating people fairly, not above the rules, but can play by the rules. So, you've added that to you, that you're known as a man of your word, a man of um, character, and and you work at it. You add it. When you got your faith, you weren't fully character developed. You had patterns, maybe, of doing things, of uh, how you did your taxes, uh, how you treated a lot of things. It's like... um, Uh, I was told the story when I was in seminary of an evangelist came to Houston to hold meetings. And Dr. Sumi was the man telling the story, heading at Dallas, a great man. And uh, he's telling this story that this evangelist was there. The waitress came, uh, I don't know, made some kind of mistake. And he gave her a royal chewing out about it. The girl went, probably nearly weeping. And uh, when she went away, Dr. Sumi looked at the evangelist and said, "I dare you to tell her about Christ now." I dare you to try to introduce her to Jesus. O oh, man of God. Yeah. That's some of you. You have your temper fits, you have your moods, and you blast off, you do this and that. say, so "Now invite them to church." It's why the church doesn't take, or the world doesn't take much church for real. It's just playing a game anyway. Until they see character in us. Has Christianity changed your character? And Peter is saying, add that, join. Now, what? By the way, I didn't. Verse 5. Look at verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And that word there, make every effort, it's a Greek word, come alongside of these divine resources. In other words, throw in your lot with God. Throw in your lot. Join forces with God's uh, provision, God's resource. Throw in your lot and join up. It takes two of you to grow. Now, if you're not growing, is God doing his part? Always, always. But some of these kids really grow, and you haven't grown. Why? You haven't joined efforts with him. So, he says, moral excellence, and to that add knowledge. And knowledge here is basic knowledge of God, his word, knowledge that's acquired, and uh, uh, you know as much as you want to know. The reason you don't quote any verses, you don't know any. And the reason you don't know them, you don't love them enough to learn them. I think of Carol's boy, Scott, Mary and John and Bill, Scott Thompson. He said, I don't know how old he was when he was saying, I still couldn't read a birthday card. Because he said, I was into girls and drums school. And he was a great musician, but a terrible student. School didn't mean anything to him. He had no desire, so he couldn't read. By the time he's up in his teens, he said birthdays were an embarrassing time because he couldn't read the card. He did not learned to read, but always phenomenal at drums. I heard him. I was in his last concert. Terrific drummer. He gets saved around 14 15, gets saved down at the Quentin House in Pinole, goes through Dallas, learns Hebrew, learns Greek, learns English, learns church history, learns hermeneutics, learns uh, Bible books, learns this, learns that, pastors outside of Houston. What done happened? Did he all of a sudden get IQ? No, he found something he wanted to learn. Hunger was awakened in him. Passion was awakened. Guess what? I will get a master's degree in theology because nobody can quench my thirst. Then I see believers, how you doing with your Bible? What do you know? Well, I'm as dumb as last year. Praise his holy name. (laughs) God does not bless ignorance. God blesses ignorant folks or none of us would be saved. But he doesn't bless ignorance. I grew up with folks, don't go to Bible college, you'll lose the anointing because God can only anoint ignorance. Lots of zeal, no knowledge. Don't, don't, go, don't be going to Bible college. Those Baptists will dry you out because they knew more Bible than the group I was with. Why have you not grown in knowledge? There's no information out there. There's no Google. You couldn't have looked up justification. You were too lazy to do it. You'd rather stay immature than to grow. That's why we're always looking for leadership. We're looking for people to do ministries, do things. And some of you, the most spiritual thing we could ask to do is pick up a broom. Because you don't know much more. That's a shame. This church ought to be loaded with people that are wearing out their Bibles. Can talk Bible and work. Not just stand around and say pie in the sky, by and by, but we will bust ourselves or work to pray, to give, to evangelize. We will do what the knowledge tells us to do. We're not, because you see, Peter's taking on a know-it-all crowd called Gnostics, and he's going to describe them in chapter 2 that they claim to know tons, but they're immoral. They're full of uh, uh, adultery. They're thieves. They're robbing God's people. They have no moral scruples. They have no moral behavior change, but they claim we know more than you Christians. You let me say what the Bible says. You know no more than your character reveals. Don't tell us what you know. Tell me how God's knowledge has changed your life, your attitude, your home. Otherwise, you're just sitting in a church bragging on knowing a lot. Oh, rubbish. Demons know a lot. Demons always been right about God. We have much demonic faith in the church. Know a lot and do little. He goes on and he says it will produce self control. Self control, temper, sexual areas, uh, my body, how it's used, lust, passions, whatever sort, uh, what I eat, don't eat. uh, I won't abuse myself physically. is self-control. You, you maybe start out as a hothead, uh, a person with uh, unabated passions that you never. He Hey, add to this faith self-control. Temper your body, everything. Then he said perseverance. Add to this perseverance. Uh, just steadfastness. The idea is remaining under pressure that is negative, trouble. Uh, pain uh, trial, that you're not a bailout artist. You don't bail out. I'm bailing out. I'm quitting. Well, what are you going to have to show for quitting? I want to quit. If it doesn't go the way I like, I'm quitting. I don't want this class. I don't want this. I want and some of you, you're professional quitters. you never accomplish anything because you just quit. He said, why don't you add to your character the ability to remain under the pressure? Man, do you think in 43 years I've had people bail out? Are you kidding? Sure. You're not going to make it. You're in a tough place. Woo, you ought to quit. You ought to leave. Finances aren't coming in. Oh, you need buildings. You're in a dumpy theater. Yeah, you, 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 you ought to just resign. And God kept telling me, what I want to teach you will not be accomplished by resignation. It will come by remaining under the pressure. Some of you quit being bailout artists. That's why you don't have any maturity or character. You just don't like the class, so you drop it. You drop it. Have you ever got your degree? No, I've dropped everything i tried to take. I haven't found the class yet that they just give you a grade for showing up. Everyone wants homework. Perseverance. Then godliness. Godliness means taking God serious, uh, reverential, respectful, that you fear God. And have you developed in that, that to be around you, have you been around some people who say, I get a sense of God when I'm with them? Do any of you know anyone that way? (laughs) Look here. It reflects on our pastoral staff. They don't know anyone. (laughs) You could be in church and not be around godly people. They don't give you a sense of God. They're full of everything but God. Are you godly? And I tell how my father was so good when I'd get with preachers and pick up their language, pick up, because you know, when you're pastors, pastors make fun a lot of times of a congregation, or they got a lot of jokes about all the crazy kind of people that come through. You think you just talk about preachers, or preachers talk about you? (laughs) It goes both ways. You think you're the only one judging. They think, God, why did you send them? God, shouldn't they go to another church? You think all they say is, thank you, Lord, for their attitude, their anger. (laughs) No, 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 no. We got as much flesh to deal with as you do. That makes you nervous, but you ought to be nervous. This place will go up in smoke if the flesh gets its way. Are you aware you turn fleshly, we 'll devour each other. He said it galatians five fifteen When sheep become carnivorous, it gets dangerous. Eat, eat green pastures, don't chew on the shepherd. He could feel his knee being gnawed on and say, "No, no, no, here, blackie here, you need some green pastures. He says here that godliness is taking God serious. And as I was picking up, I think, bad attitudes and and even language about God's people and meetings, my father would rebuke the daylights out of me, said, where did you get that from? You didn't get it from Jesus. Are you godly? Do you talk about God reverentially? Or do you say, oh, my Lord? What do you mean when you say, oh, my Lord, you're looking up the Lord? No, 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 not just a little phrase I use, you're wrong, cut it out. Don't take his name in vain. Don't be cheap about God. He's not cheap about you. He's very serious about you. So he said, you add that, then you add brotherly kindness, and it's different from the word love. The word for brotherly kindness is Philadelphia. Uh, Show family affection uh, in the church. Now, isn't that interesting? Be brotherly affectionate to one another. I wonder what he meant there. Uh, we're talking to some people that the basic church assignment was to come in, look forward, and be quiet. And you walk out the same way. Like that. Don't say hands. can't. Don't look to the right or the left. And in traditional churches, whoo, he went past 12. I just lost the blessing. I can't focus any longer. And watch a three-hour movie and not even go up and go to the bathroom. Just say, get more popcorn. No, no. You can sit as long as you want. Just whether you like it or not. Love it. Brotherly affection. How would anybody in this place know that you're a Christian or that you have that character? Are you brotherly? See, family love is what he's saying. Have family love one toward another. And I have to say, I've been out of Pentecostal circles for over 40 some odd years. What I missed the most was the family affection. Conservatives can't touch them. Too, Too stiff. Too rigid. Everything's cerebral, cerebral, cerebral. Oh, baloney. When my children are sick, they don't want to know if I'm a genius. They want to know if I love them. They want to know if I take their temperature and then tell their mother to take care of them. (laughs) They want to see real love. See? Brotherly affection. Will anyone know before you leave this place, will they know that they've been loved because you're here? They'll know us by our stiffness. Well, They'll know us because of our genius. What about affection, family affection? And I was at a wedding last night, largely Filipino. I never saw, much, never saw so much family kissing in my life. I just wanted to jump in the middle, hope it rubbed off. <laughs> but when the Anglos came, man, then they got their lips the other way. But all oh, this kissing, I mean, look. I said, well, well who? the bride won't be kissed this much. But there are all these Filipino, a lot of family. Man, they kiss each other. And maybe Latinos, you know, whatever. But, you know, the more you go northern Europe, there's none of that. You have found not mosquito spray, but brother spray. <laughs> Don't touch me. I have my zone in Israel. Within 100 feet, don't talk to me. Brotherly affection, they had it. And it was easy to have when you're persecuted. Then love, and that's wonderful. We know what love acts like, 1 Corinthians. Now, what will be the results if you develop this character in reliance on God's power, God's promises, and the gift of faith? This is what will happen to you. Five things. They're right here in the text. You follow me. Um, He says, first of all, you'll be actively engaged. Um, He says this uh, in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. And that word ineffective means unemployed. It's actually the word for idle passive. It's the scary thing about retirement. People that get older, when you get disengaged at any level and you seek that, that's the American myth of retirement. Oh, I want to retire at 65. What does that mean? Does it mean I will do nothing? That's dangerous. It's unhealthy. It's mentally unhealthy. Especially as a Christian, does God have a thing there when you reach 65, I want you to retire from serving me. Does he have that out there? Chuck Swindoll is still pastoring at 80, and he told my friend Bill Bryan, I'm going to pastor till I drop because I'm afraid of what happens to old preachers when they retire. They usually get in trouble. And a lot of you are in trouble. You're bored. You're doing nothing. You're sitting around. Uh, keep looking at your monthly statements to see how your 401K is doing. And... Uh, and eat out a lot, but you don't have any assignment. You don't have a purpose. That's scary. And he says here, if you will pay attention to your character, you won't get where you will be unemployed. And that's the word he's using, that you won't be unemployed. You won't become idle, useless. Then he says, too, you won't become unfruitful, so you'll become fruitful. You'll, you'll, if, if you'll pay attention to your character, God will take care of your ministry, see? Uh, you take care of the character, got to take care of the influence. And so he said, uh, Do that, you'll be fruitful. And then he said, You'll possess divine perspective. He said, If you're not doing this, you will be nearsighted so much as to become blind, because there's a play on a Greek word here, and the word for nearsighted was to squint the eyes. A- and the idea was a play on words, it was a pun that you're giving them truth, and they kind of, you know, like this. Mm. And if you squint enough, even with good vision, you squint enough, you can't see. And he said, in your squinting, a self-chosen response to truth, in your squinting, you'll make yourself blind. And so now, you don't see things as God sees. You no longer are responding to what he shows you about your life because you've shut down. You're and he says, but if you keep growing, he'll keep giving you divine perspective, divine light, divine insight. But those who are not growing, they have become blind. They, they can't see things. They, they no longer have an eternal perspective. They can see everything to gripe about, problems in the church, Problems in the marriage. You know, they pick on themselves or people. But when you are responding to truth and growing, he keeps giving you vision. 2020, you don't become blind. You don't become nearsighted. So I see it. I'm growing. I see what he's saying. If you refuse to grow, you will become so blind, you won't even, you get blind and dull of hearing. So you can't see the shepherd, and you can't hear his voice. It's dangerous to refuse to grow. Dangerous. Then he says, you'll be established. And the word here, notice what he said. uh, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Mm, What in the world does that mean? Does that mean that you'll never sin? What does it mean then? It means to sin or to err. Hmm. Lord, you told me if I'd grow in these areas, I I would become sinlessly perfect. That's not what he's saying. As John said, even when we walk in fellowship, the blood of his son is cleansing us from all. You know what? Even when you're not confessing your sin, Jesus is cleansing you from sin? Did you know that? Yeah. Well, I'm not sinning. Nothing overtly. 1 John says, you know that the blood of his son is cleansing you from sin at all times. But I didn't do any sin. You're a sinner. Just the gunk I have to deal with in your heart Demands that the work of the cross is cleansing at all times. Or we couldn't even talk to each other. But I don't have anything to confess. No, you don't right now. But you still got a mess inside that he keeps cleansing you from. Cleansing. Applying the work of the cross to all the gunk that's in us. Our heart. Our thoughts. Our attitude. He's just cleansing. There's a worship machine going at all times in the believer's heart. Those agitators. Lord, I haven't even sinned. No, while you were asleep, I was cleansing. Have you ever had a bad dream? Have you ever had a sinful dream? Don't lie to me. You have. You have. What was the blood of Christ doing when you were having that bad dream? Thank you. Someone got it. It's a guess. Thank you. Cleansing. How could God ever have fellowship with you? You aren't that clean. You're not easy to get along with. It's only His Son's death that gives God any opportunity to have fellowship with you. It's not you. That self-centered, stubborn heart. Who wants fellowship with you, especially if you're God? I thought God hung out with holy folks. No. He hangs out with sinners that his blood is cleansing. Let me tell you about that word, they shall not stumble. In the Greek, it uses a little word that's an eris, a punctiliar. And he says, they shall never stumble, stumble as to be irretrievable. Their final state will not be sin, erred, locked in it. There will be no irretrievable stumbling in a believer. He will not lose his salvation over the stumble. He will not be done with. He will have stumbled in one sense, but it's not final and irretrievable. Now, he may do an irretrievable sin that ruins his reputation. He may lose his ministry. He may lose a lot of things, but with God, You will never sin. When you're working on your character and cooperating, you won't ever stumble so as to be irretrievable at any point of the journey. What a great promise. And then he finally says, you will have a glorious celebration when you get home. And I wish I could convey the full meaning here of 11. For in this way, there there will be richly provided for you An entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Two things I would share. When you participated in the Greek Olympics, if you won an event at the Greek Olympics, guess what your hometown would do? While you were still in Athens, and you were going to make your journey back home, the citizens of your hometown would cut a new place in the city wall, erect a new city gate named after you. And when you came back, they were throwing a party and they threw open a gate in your name. Let's say it was the Philip gate, come in. And the whole city would start cheering the Olympics athlete. And this is the Peter, the the word that Peter uses. When you get to heaven It's going to be like an Olympics win, and you're going back to your village, and the gates are going to just be flying open. Say, welcome in. You cooperated with me. You cooperated, and I'm going to throw a party when you come through the instead of sneaking in the back door. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. No, no. No, I cooperated with the captain. I I ran the race like he said. He said, I'm going to throw a bass when you die and come into my presence because you cooperated with me. Oh, don't get happy. You're in church. (laughs) Stay stiff. Stay stiff. Stay frozen. Some of my Pentecostal friends will be here tonight. It'll loosen up. Listen to this. During June and July... In August of 1965, a man from Cleveland, Ohio, named Robert Manry purchased a -a 13-and-a-half-foot, 30-year-old dilapidated boat, 13-and-a-half feet. Imagine. I'm reading Unbroken now where they survived in a raft, a Navy raft for 46 days. And would hit sharks that jumped in with an oar. Three men. The life of Zamborini. But got this thirteen and one half foot, thirty-three-year-old dilapidated boat. He repaired it and he named it Tinkerbell. And he decided on June first, nineteen sixty-five, that he would leave Falmouth, Massachusetts for Falmouth, England. Manry's voyage was to take seventy-eight days, many of them cold, wet, and painful. He was hit by storms, confused by hallucinations of hitchhikers and assassins, washed overboard, delayed by winds that were too great, and become by lack of wind at all, plagued by loneliness, troubled by salt water, sores, he kept sailing. Manry expected to sail into Falmouth Harbor Harbor, as quietly as possible, get passage to fly back to the United States and to send his boat back. But as he came into Falmouth Harbor quietly to let his family know of his arrival, word of his voyage had reached England. And as he neared the coast, Shackleton bombers from the Royal Air Force 42nd Squadron flew over in salute. Newspaper teams from both sides of the Atlantic vied for his story. Great ships hovered along with congratulatory messages. During the last mile, a flotilla of ships and boats sailed out of Falmouth to greet him. Royal Navy helicopters formed an umbrella above. Boats circled and flocked about him. And the people called out, good show. Glad you made it, mate. Well done. Well done. Sailing along the quay, he could see crowds of cheering people jamming the ramparts of Pendennis Castle. Manry later wrote, people were everywhere, standing alongside the shore, perched on window ledges, leaning out of doorways, crowded onto jetties, thronging the streets, clinging to trees, cramming the inner harbor in boats of every size and description. The whole place was teeming with humanity. Over 50,000 people showed up to see Tinkerbell come in the harbor. I was dumbfounded, numbed by the enormity of it all, and not a little bewildered. It was just too much to take in all at once. Every boat and ship in the harbor let go with its horn or whistle, and shook the whole waterfront with reverberating sound as the crowd yelled. R.F. Shackletons flew overhead in wigwagging salutes, and a band. Saint Stepan's Silver Band played the Star-Spangled Banner and the Stars and Stripes Forever. I couldn't read this without thinking of the classic story, been told many times, of the missionary that was on the ship that brought Theodore Roosevelt back from an African safari. And when they pulled into the New York harbor, the harbor went berserk. The harbor's full of people. And this missionary who had buried his wife in Africa and who'd come home a broken man. When he first heard all the noise, he thought, they're here to welcome me. The missionary group that sent me out, maybe my local church, whoever, they, they're here to, I can't believe, they're here to welcome me. He was naive as who was on board. As they started to go down the gangplank, of course, the president of the United States went first and the band was playing. All the celebration, the missionary went to the YMCA to get a room. There was no one there for him. There was no family. He'd become an old man on the mission field. And so as he went to the YMCA and got on his knees, he simply stated, I thought there'd be someone there to welcome me. I thought there'd be someone there to say good job. Somebody to tell me uh, Was it not worth it all? And as he poured out his sorrow to the Lord, he said he heard the Lord speak to him, You're not home yet. You're not home yet. Someday we're going home. And Peter is saying there's going to be such a grand celebration when the church of God goes through the gates that all of heaven is going to start singing, strike up the band. And they'll start playing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We are not home yet, but we are going home. Dear child of God, grow up. Quit hanging around making mud pies when you ought to be out changing lives. Quit quit studying your navel when you ought to be studying your Savior. Quit staying stupid. Stupid. You've got a good mind. You succeed in business. You figured out computers. You figured out how to lay away a little money. You're not stupid except in the things that will make you grow up. The things of God. Study the stock market till you're blue in your face. You'll still lose some money and make some. But so what when you go through the gates? What will it count? Do you have to bring your portfolio with you? Oh, you say, here's a few souls you let me influence. They were third graders, fourth graders, fifth graders. They were in old folks' homes. They were lost. They were blind. They were worthless. And I did like William Booth when I visited the streets of London with 30,000 bars and a brothel in every block. I went there, I stole girls out of brothels that were being pimped at 13, and I said, you're coming to the Salvation Army station, we're going to feed you, we're going to get you back to your parents, we're going to dress you up, you're not a harlot, you're a child that the Son of God died for, and we're going to rescue you. Now, I want to ask you, do you want to lay around until we bury you, and saying, I'm bored You don't have to get bored if God could anoint your eyes to see the harvest. It's rotting because we can't get enough labors. When will you be available? He's not going to throw a party for those that wouldn't work in the harvest. It's for the labors. It's for those who grew. We're not home, but we're going to be. We're going home. Our Father, help us to grow up into Christ, and do everything Christ saved us to do. Help us to get over ourselves and our small dreams, our big ego, and our lack of love for a perishing world. The only thing that would make you, Jesus, leave a throne, the only thing that would strip heaven of its king, was us, sinners, full of sin, failure, weakness. Oh, let us get over ourselves and let us get captured with Christ and sing, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you. Maybe you're here and you've never come to know Christ personally. Did you know that he came from heaven to save you? He wants to be your Savior. He he wants you to see things eternal and grow up to be so useful in this world that someday you're going to see the grandest bass that's ever been. It's going to make uh, Academy Award night look like uh, a country picnic. It's going to bust out everything when God welcomes his church, people who died at a stake, people who said, I taught a class, people who said, I got my mouth under control. I no longer lust after women. God gave me self-control. I no longer am a hothead. The fruit of the Spirit has replaced my anger. When? When? No wonder churches are crippled everywhere. We're full of complainers and murmurs. Where are those that are growing, becoming like their Savior? Don't become like me. I'm in the same struggle as you. I'm trying to grow. I want to grow. I can't listen to some of you because I can't be around you and grow. Because you don't believe in growing. You're just churchmen that are negative. But I want to grow. I want to become like my savior. He deserves all of me. I said he deserves all of me. And why aren't you giving him all of you? Burn up your excuses. Burn up the lies you've convinced yourself of. Get back some sight. Get back to God's resources, his power, his promises. And the gift of faith, you've got all the faith you'll ever need to accomplish everything God wants to do through you. He gave you that supply when he saved you. Today, you can start growing. You know what some of you need? We're in the first service. It's called repentance. I've been wrong. I've been wrong. I've been wrong. I've been wrong. I want to change my mind. I want to do what you want me to do now. I've been wrong. I repent. I flee to you. Knowing you, all that I held dear at one time, all that this life, all this world builds its foundations on, I adored money, ego, sex, pleasure, parties, being number one. I burn it up all since I've met Christ. I count it all rubbish that I may gain Him. One Christ is worth more than a million worlds. One Christ.